Amen. It is good to worship together. Hey, I'm thrilled you're here. Uh, if we haven't met yet, I'm Jack. Hey, um, glad that you're here. And uh, gosh, there's so much to go over. We've been in this series in Esther, so I want to encourage you, if you got a Bible, you're welcome to turn to Esther. The easy way to find it is go to Psalms. It's kind of the middle. Go back left a couple books. Or if you have one of them smartphones, you can actually go to Sermon Notes right through the app, and you can follow along with everything we're going to look at tonight. Uh, and as you're pulling it up or turning there, I uh, just want to highlight a couple things publicly in front of people and celebrate some things. We'll talk more about Generosity Feeds tonight at the end as Brian shares an update of just how everything went for those of you who weren't able to join us today. But the short story is we packed 20,000 meals in 51 minutes and it's going to bless a ton of kids. So well done to all of you. That's an awesome job. And I also want to say thank you to everyone who helped us. And last Sunday, right after service, we did our uh, famous potato bar and salads and dessert auction. And I want to highlight uh, Fran, Doug, and Sean. I don't know if you're all here. Thank you so much for all the work that you did to, to help our team pull that off. We raised $3,200. And every single one of those dollars is going to go to help send kids to camp uh, this summer. And so that's about 12 and a half. So we, we have a half of a person we need to raise for. So anyway, just, uh, but again, we have a baseball game uh, this Saturday. If you want to buy tickets for that, you're welcome to. And that's at the Next Steps table on the way out. Last but not least, I want to update about Easter because uh, Easter's a little different this year. How many of you know Easter falls on Sunday? Okay, perfect. That's the same. Uh, so we'll be here Sunday night, April 21st at 5 to celebrate Easter together. But on April 19th, on Good Friday, we're actually uh, combining with Emmanuel. And we did this last year. We did a, a Good Friday kind of worship service. And we are creating a worship opportunity. And uh, I want to explain that just a little bit. It's not a service start to finish. It's a slot of time from 6.30 to 8.30 where you can come in. We're gonna create about seven different worship stations here. And by worship, I don't mean singing. Uh, I mean just stations for you to reflect on the cross and everything Jesus has done for you. It's gonna be self-guided. It will be simple and explanatory opportunity to witness some things, see some things, reflect on some stuff and some questions and hands-on activities to do on some of those stations, okay? So 6.30, 8.30, open any of that time. You can come in. Now, parents, you need to know that we are gonna have some of the scenes from Passion of the Christ playing, and so if you have real little ones and you, you're not ready to explain everything that's going to be on that video, uh, because it's real, real, um, then uh, it's okay. We've got child care. You can check them in, come do the experience, and then pick them up and go home. Uh, pick up your kid, not someone else's. Um, but uh, And so that's that uh, for Good Friday. Just wanted to make sure that everybody's kind of hearing what that's going to be. Invite some friends. Invite people that you know. This is going to be, I, I think, a really powerful uh, moment and experience for you. Our team's excited for you to, to engage in that. So <clears throat> moving on, hard transition, back to Esther. We've been in the book of Esther for the last three weeks. This is fourth week. We'll finish it up next. Um, but looking at this idea of what are some lessons we can learn from Esther's story and from this journey that we see. There's five main characters. There's Esther who becomes queen. There's King Xerxes who's ruling the Persian Empire in about 480 BC. Uh, we see Mordecai who's the cousin of Esther who's kind of risen to some political clout and power, but yet 
he's kind of being pushed back. There's Haman who's come up. He's kind of the villain of the story, and there's some things. He becomes second in charge, and he actually begins to put into place kind of the eradication of the Jews, kind of a pre-Holocaust, Holocaust movement that's happening in around 480 B.C. for the Jewish people who are still part of the whole Persian Empire. And so that's millions of people. Uh, and lots of things going on, and uh, in this story, we see some incredible things. Now, we described Esther, if you were to put it in six words, as Game of Thrones without the dragons, and that really is what it is, because it's about kings and queens and sex and power and evil and good and all these things, and yet God is never mentioned in the entire book, but his fingerprints are all over the story. And we see him interacting. And we kind of looked at this story and said, look, there's some tension that's existing in this land for these Jewish people and these people who are following after God because they're living in a land that kind of pushes back against what they value and what they would say, this is the way for us to live. And so they're kind of, when you're in that kind of situation, when, when the culture around you doesn't line up with what you value and what God calls you to, uh, I mean, not that we live in a culture like, okay, sarcasm, um, <clears throat> but there's this push for us to go one of two ways. There's either the way of going to conformity, you just conform to culture, you change your value, change your heart, and you just kind of become what the culture is, or there's this tendency to want to isolate and to kind of withdraw and insulate yourselves from culture, and yet you are not allowed to have an impact then. You're really just being about you, and what we see Mordecai and Esther beginning to develop is this calling to say, no, to follow God in that kind of context is you've got to go a third way. You've got to figure out this third way. We call it the Jesus way. How do you live as a life as a follower of Jesus when you're not wanting to necessarily conform, but you're also not wanting to isolate? You're wanting to have influence and impact, and that's what we begin to see play out in the life of Esther and Mordecai as they begin to push back against culture. And We looked at the series takeaway. The whole series takeaway was this. At times, God may seem silent because he seems really silent in this book. But friends, he is never absent. And there may be moments in your life, for some of you, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, for some of you, maybe you're here and you're like, I, just, I did the God thing for a while and then it kind of checked out because it's just, it's not me. It's, it's just, I don't see God at work and, and I just want to let you know, God's still there. He may seem silent in times, but he's never absent. If you're a parent, you understand the power of silence. When your kids are in trouble or your kids are struggling, sometimes when they're, they need comfort in that moment, the best thing you can give them is not a pep talk. When they're struggling and hurting, sometimes the best thing you can do is just be silent and to be with. Sometimes when there's a moment of challenge, maybe it's not best just to rush in and say, here's what, everything on my mind and everything that's going on in me. Maybe silence has some power to it. And that's what we begin to see as we look at this idea. And so last week, just a quick recap, Esther steps up on behalf of her people. And she goes before the king and she says, King, um, <clears throat> I need to see you. And to go before the king without ever being called was a death sentence. And yet she shows up after fasting and praying for three days and calling the people of God to do the same. She says, I'm going to go. And if I perish, I perish. And she steps before the king, and the king raises a scepter and says, you're welcome in my presence. What is going on? Up to half the kingdom I will give you. And she responds, as they do there, and says, I'd like for you to come to a banquet. How many of you like banquets? Yeah, the Persians loved banquets. It's all over this story. How many of you like all-you-can-eat buffets? Yeah, they love 
buffets and banquets more than all-you-can-eat buffets, okay? Just they have a passion for banquets. And so she, being smart, says, oh, king, I would like for you to come to this banquet, right? And so they come, and Haman joins them. And they come to this first banquet, and the king asks again, what is it that you want? And she says, I, if, if I please the king, I would like for you to come back for another banquet the next day. And so that's where we left off. It was kind of a to-be-continued cliffhanger because we don't know everything that's going to happen. And now the story is going to pick up a lot of speed because what we understand is what Esther has done and what we looked at last week is she began to pray and to wait on the Lord. Kind of what Lyle was talking about as we sang that song. Learning to wait on the Lord, to, to pray and ask for his intervention, knowing that they needed his divine help not just for her to step forward in humanity and her own effort. They needed God's will and his power to help change what had been set in motion. And so these spiritual practices of prayer and waiting on the Lord are meant to be habits for us. Prayer is not meant to be a last resort. It's meant to be our first priority. As we communicate and connect with God, it's important for us to learn this rhythm of waiting on God that we don't get in a hurry and run ahead of God. That's my tendency. To run ahead of God. God, I know what we need to do. Follow me. And God's going, whoa, 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 whoa. You follow me. That was the challenge, remember? And so there's this tendency for us to, to want to get ahead of God. And instead of running ahead of him, we need to run to him and then walk with him as he leads us. And so chapter 5 ends and inviting back to this banquet. And here we are, chapter 6, verse 1. You ready? Just watch the first two words. That night, the preacher stopped. This is awkward now. Yes, it's more awkward. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. That night, what did Esther do to the meal? I don't know. How many of you ever had a sleepless night before? Where you're waking up in the middle of the night, right? Could have been the pizza you ate super late, right? Could be indigestion, could be just anything waking you up. Uh, how many of you have sat in bed, tossed and turned, uh, maybe woken up your spouse and said, hey, I can't sleep? Don't do that. Okay, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's not wise, okay? Um, just you figure out what you got to do, okay? That night, I love that. Mordecai was sleeping, unaware of what Haman was going to try to do the very next morning to have him impaled and killed. Haman was sleeping, probably dreaming of what he was going to do to Mordecai. Esther was sleeping. The whole city of Susa was sleeping, but not the king that night. Why? God was at work. The one who is never mentioned directly in this entire book was working behind the scenes through a supernatural case of insomnia. So what do you do when you can't sleep? What do you do? Toss and turn. How many of you count sheep? Maybe you get up, drink warm milk. Some of you drink coffee. I don't know why, but <clears throat> maybe you walk around the house. Maybe you go read a book. King Xerxes calls in a servant and he says, I want you to read the Chronicles, the record of my reign, because I'm awesome and I want to hear how awesome I am. This is the king. This is what he does. 
And so they call in uh, and they go grab a scroll and they bring it in. Here's what happens. It was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed two of the guards that had tried to do a coup that we read about in chapter 1 and overthrow King Xerxes. Two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who conspired to assassinate the king, it was recorded that Mordecai was the one who had put that to notice, and they had stopped that assassination attempt. And the king says, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? And the attendant said, nothing has been done for him that night. This happened years before, people. This wasn't a month or a week. This is years later. Have you ever done something that went unnoticed? Done something good for someone and it just didn't get recognized? And maybe you feel slighted emotionally inside. Maybe you feel like, gosh, I don't need a pat on the back or anything, but like an acknowledgement would be cool uh, or, or something like that. I don't need to have a parade, but to be told, hey, I noticed that you did that, that Mordecai got none of that, nothing, for years. What happens next in Esther's story is like watching a Rube Goldberg machine. Anyone know what that is? Remember, that's the machine where a ball drops down, a chute, and it spins a wheel, turns a pulley, sends a domino falling onto a lever, and on and on and on it goes until something gets accomplished. You've seen these on YouTube. In your sermon notes, I put an example of one. So for the next three minutes, if you're bored, you could do that. Um, It begins in the wee hours of a sleepless night around an event that occurred so long ago that it had gone unnoticed. See, God doesn't always reward right away. But he does remember. We can trust that God will reward faithfulness somehow, some way, sometime. And I think God is actually giddy in this moment. Because Mordecai, I know that you did a good thing. And I know it looked like no one noticed, but Mordecai, I noticed. And I've been waiting for the right night to bring recognition your way. And you need it to be this night. Because you have no idea that tomorrow morning Haman's going to try to kill you. You have no clue that that's unfolding and that's happening. And that's why you need it this particular night. Now, insomnia is not something that is necessarily caused by the Lord. Uh, You eat uh, bad tofu, you might get it. Uh, My rule of thumb is just not to eat tofu. So, but you could eat something that causes indigestion, and you can stay awake. You can have stress that causes that. That's certainly a possibility. I've learned that over time, as I get older, when I have a hard time sleeping, I do a couple different things. I don't go and watch TV. Uh, I used to just, you know, get up with the kids and change diapers and rock them and all that kind of stuff. Now it's just, I start praying and I read my Bible. And here's why I do that. I figure A, it's good for me. And B, God will either use that to put me back to sleep or the enemy will actually put me back to sleep because he's tired of me praying or tired of me reading. Either way, I win, the kingdom wins, and we're good. So that's a suggestion, just throwing it out there for free. But this idea that God can accomplish more in a day or a sleepless night than you and I can accomplish in a whole lifetime. Our uh, author, Mark Batterson, kind of has a little fun with this story in one of his books that I read recently. He talks about the probability of the king 
pulling the scroll to read about Mordecai's um, saving him from this assassination attempt years before. Just the probability. Why did it happen that night? Let's just say the odds are 100, I mean, 1 in 365, right? That it was that particular night that he had sleeping issues. That uh, we don't know, but more than likely, King Xerxes had the largest library in the whole Persian Empire. That the British Museum has a library of uh, the, one of the Assyrian kings whose scrolls measure out at 30,943 scrolls. Now, what is on that scroll? Well, it's probably more like an encyclopedia than it is a comic book, right? That you're recording the record of the reign of that kingdom. We know King Xerxes uh, reigned for 21 years. And they recorded things just like our Congress records things. That every day that Congress is in session, they're recording everything that's happening. Everything from the Pledge of Allegiance at the start of the day, all the way through all the nominations and the things that are put on the floor. That even on the 115th Congress, on that first opening day, there was 101 pages recording from opening prayer, Pledge of Allegiance, petitions, nominations, text amendments, resolutions, and more. So let's just guess that was maybe one in 1,000th of a chance that he would turn to that particular scroll and that particular page that would record what was going on with Mordecai. So if you times all of those odds together, the odds of King Xerxes reading about Mordecai, saving him from an assassination, is one in 11,294,195,000. That night. What? I think God loves to show off. I couldn't win those odds. But I think God has fun with those odds. Mordecai, listen, I know no one recognized it, but I did. And I know that you would love to have a pat on the back. And it's coming. You're gonna have to wait. And I know it's frustrating to wait. I know it feels like it was overlooked but I'm telling you, I have something in store, and it's for your best that it happens on this night. Years later, you have no idea, but I got you. I got you. And I think God loves to do this, discerning the difference between coincidence, providence, can't be reduced to a mathematical equation. But I believe God loves to show off and pull off the impossible. It is his forte. He loves to do it. And when it seems our efforts will go unnoticed by men, God notices and he keeps account. So let me just give us a simple challenge that I think we learn from Mordecai in this story. That through all that happened to him, Mordecai never becomes a man of vengeance or one who seeks to get back at Haman or others. He doesn't speak out against those who may have slighted him. He maintains his integrity, and he lets God be his defender, and he just keeps on keeping on. And I wonder, in our world, where everybody can be offended by anything, if the Lord's looking for people who will just keep on keeping on, and let him be the defender. Let him take notes. Hebrews 6.10 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown for him and as you have helped his people and continue to help them. 
Or Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Friends, be faithful to God. Keep doing good works. When no one else notices, mark it down. God does. No one else may remember, but God records it. And when it's right, he will bring blessing because that's what he loves to do for his kids. He just takes care of you. He's the defender. He's the one that can work through this. And so here on that night is when this begins to play and all of a sudden all this stuff gets set in motion. You ready to go? Here we go. It's a blitz. Here we go. Esther 6, 3 through 10. Nothing has been done to him, the attendant says. The king says, hey, who's in the court? Because sunrise is happening. Now Haman just happened to enter the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had built for him in his house in his backyard that's 75 feet high the night before. Just happened to be walking in the court right then. His attendant said, hey, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king said. Haman's enjoyed. Here we go. Haman entered and the king asked him, I love this. What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Hmm. Well, Haman thought to himself, well, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? Surely it's me. So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, um, let's see, have them bring a royal robe. Yeah, 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 that's it. Bring a royal robe that the king has worn. And bring a horse that the king has ridden, the one that has the crest on the blaze of the head. Yeah, 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 do that. Then let the robe and the horse uh, be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Prince, prince, prince plural. Okay, I, I don't know how to say that word. Um, let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead them on a horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'll be good. Because that'll be me. Haman's thinking. Then verse 10. (laughs) Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew. What the what? who sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything that you have recommended. Do it just like you said for Mordecai. (gasps) What can you even imagine? What is going on in Haman's mind? Oh, if there's ever a time for holy laughter, this is it. (laughs) Can you imagine what is happening in Haman's mind? He thought it was all for him, not his enemy. And Mordecai's done nothing to acknowledge or point to himself. God has stepped in and said, Mordecai, I know. I got you. In fact, I'm going to bring the sweetest irony there is because that's what I do. And you're going to be paraded through the streets 
And the one who hates you and wants to kill you is going to have to sing your praises in front of everybody. Can you even imagine? Talk about eating humble pie. This is a banquet-sized delivery of humble pie to the man who has been anything but humble, who's been serving up pride and building up pride within himself. It's crazy. Isn't this amazing? This is awesome. This should be on TV. This is a great story, right? The irony of this, that insert insane laughter here as the kids say, ooh, burn. I don't know if that's what they still say, but there you go. It goes on, I don't have time to read it, but you could read it, in the end of chapter six. <laughs> Haman, after he's led Mordecai through the streets, singing his praises, this is what's done to honor the man that the king loves to honor. <laughs> it's like gotta be like eating gravel the whole day, right? He goes home, and he walks in, and he tells his wife, this is what happened today, I cannot believe it. Remember when I left here this morning, I was gonna go have Mordecai killed? Well, guess what? I had to give him a ticket tape parade all throughout the whole city, leading him around and yelling his praises everywhere I went. And she looks at him and says, wow, uh, if that's what happened today, I don't think your meeting's going to go well tonight. You're dead. That's what she says. <laughs> it's amazing. It's literally what she said. Okay. Um, any Office fans get that? Okay. So, as he's complaining, there's a knock at the door, and the cards come to get him to go to the second banquet that Esther had requested. It just picks up speed. Here we go. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as they were there drinking wine on the second day, the king asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? And it will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. And then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold, this is so beautiful. Oh, she's so smart. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing your king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? This man who has dared to do such a thing. Whoa. Esther said, an adversary, an enemy. Ta-da, Haman. Exhibit A. Right here. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in rage, left his wine. That's a big clue. This king loves wine. He storms out into the palace garden, but Haman, realizing the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. And just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. Oh, that's so good. I don't think you realize how good that is. Okay. 
What do you do when you're reclining? Are you stressed? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you chill? Why? Because for days she prayed, she waited on the Lord. God, I don't wanna go ahead of you and try to figure out what I'm supposed to do. I'm gonna wait on you and I want you to show me. All right, invite him to a banquet, okay? Invite him back to a banquet, okay. Oh, oh, okay. God, you're gonna go to work behind the scenes and I may not even see all the pieces and all the levers and all the pulleys happening and activated behind the scenes, but I know you're up to something and so Esther reclines. Haman is throwing himself at Esther, please save me. Just as the king returned, the king exclaims, he sees this, will you even molest the queen while she is with me in my house? Dun, dun, dun. No, seriously, dun, 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 like he's done, (laughs) okay? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Why? Because he's done, 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 okay? That's why you cover someone's face. Oh, buddy, you're done, so, okay, we're gonna cover you up. Then uh, Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, oh, king, I don't know if you know or if you've heard, but uh, our buddy here, (laughs) Mr. Mask Guy, uh, he set up a 75-foot pole in his backyard. He was going to impale Mordecai, who actually stood up for you and saved you. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> I don't think you realize how awesome that is. <laughs> this guy says, oh, king, in case you were wondering what to do, just wanted to let you know, this is 30 feet. Uh, it's 75 feet high. Uh, he set it up to impale Mordecai, who actually saved your life. He was going to try to do that today. And the king says, impale him on it. And out Haman is taken. And that's the end of Haman. It's an amazing reality that unfolds here. Unbelievable irony. Uh, unmatchable odds of this happening and unfolding with this kind of speed and at just the right moments. Are you kidding me? This is incredible. Esther steps up for her people and we watch in that moment, God begins to step in to the story even though his name is never mentioned. But his fingerprints are all over this story. And when God steps into the story, he brings about holy and righteous change. See, so often, as we step up for God's best in situations, we will watch God step in and bring about transformation and change. God can do anything he wants to without you and without me. He don't need you and he don't need me. But he so often longs to partner with the people who are with him and following him to bring about change and transformation in your family, in yourself, in your city, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces. And he's looking for people who will step up like Esther does. I don't know all the answers, but I'm willing to step up, God, for your best. Would you show me? I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm waiting on you to show me what's the best thing to do. See, we've watched the difference between two key characters, Haman and Mordecai. Haman, full of pride, 
Mordecai full of humility. And there is this tension and tug of war that happens and goes on with it. See, throughout the scriptures, we see this tension between these two attributes. They represent the pull that goes on in every single human heart. You will wrestle with this. You cannot avoid it. And so will I. There will be this pull, this worldly way of wisdom that says you've got to major on yourself. You've got to make it about you. You have got to be selfish in order to get ahead. You have to pursue that. And yet there's this path and pull toward humility that God says, this is the path I want you to take towards selflessness and thinking and pushing others forward and being for them. You can take care of yourself. It's okay to do that. But it's not all about you. There is this tension. Jesus models this, and he calls us to it, and the scriptures echo over and over this pull toward this path of humility to choose that over the price of pride. James 4, just read a couple verses. But he, God, gives us more grace. That's why the scriptures say God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Jesus said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Peter, finally, all of you, be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and what? Humble. I love what Pastor Scott Sauls says this. He says, Jesus doesn't separate the world into good people and bad people. He separates the world into proud people and humble people. And what's more, he opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. The path and heart of humility is to be our pursuit as a follower of Jesus. When pride tries to worm its way into your heart, you must weed it out every time, all the time. Diligently, you must ruthlessly eliminate pride from your heart. And so must I. It is the challenge that faces us. When we're living in humility, we're actually becoming to live more and more like the heart of Jesus. What he modeled and how he lived, and as his disciples, isn't that what we want the most? To be a better reflection and to be more and more like the one we follow? That's what we're called to be. And so when the world pushes us to to choose pride and to choose selfishness and to focus just on yourself, Jesus is saying, no, no, there's a better way. I've shown it to you. This is the Jesus way. And I'm calling you to follow me after, or to follow after this. This is an incredible story that we've seen. We got one more week in it next week, where we're going to look through the last three chapters, a real kind of just blitz overview of everything that's going to finish up here, because there's a, a feast of Purim of, that's put into place that Jews actually still practice today. All goes back to the story of Esther, and it talks about the importance of remembering. It was a remembrance of what God did for them. And Jesus has done the same for us. He's given us some, some opportunities to experience remembering everything he's done for us. And so we're going to take communion next Sunday in a little bit different way because we're, we're given this practice to say this is what we're meant to lean into and remember. And so this story is an incredible story, and I hope that you just are encouraged by the fact that God may be silent in times, but he's never absent, and he's always active behind the scenes. And yes, it may be times where it looks like you've done something and it went unnoticed, but friend, God always notices, and he will reward the faithful. 
and people who pursue the path of humility. And we want to be that kind of church. I want you to be that kind of follower of Jesus. I want to be that kind of follower of Jesus. And so God, as we close tonight, as we kind of engage here in a moment of worship and leaning into communion, we remember that the path of humility is the path you call us to. Jesus, it's what you talked about. It's what you modeled. Ultimately, it's what you modeled best on the cross. As you humbled yourself to death, even death on a cross, a criminal's kind of death, to, to take a punishment that we deserved, you took in our place, to provide a way for us to have a relationship with God that we couldn't figure out or get on our own, but you freely gave to us through your sacrifice, ultimately guaranteed through your resurrection that it was your life, your death, your resurrection that made a way for us to have faith and life with God through faith in you. You humbled yourself. God, may we be a church, may we be a people who humbly try to live out following after the one that we love, Jesus. We want to be a better disciple. We want to be a church that's making disciples of people who would say, I want to be more like Jesus. I don't have it all figured out. I'm still on my own journey. But I want to be better and more like him this year than I was last year. I want to make progress in that. God, for some, you're probably even just calling them to a first step of saying yes to you. So God, if there's some here that want to say yes to you tonight or so we make our way toward Easter, I pray that you call them home to yourself. Relationship with you. God, would you show each one of us what our next steps are as we follow you? We want to be people who step up for you and watch you step in and bring about change. So, Father, as we take communion here in these moments, as we sing, as we close our service, would you stir us afresh and anew? We pray that in Jesus' name.